We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm here. Tommy is here. The show today presented by our good friends at My Bookie this weekend. Jake Paul and Anderson Silva highlight the main event of what could be the biggest boxing pay-per-view event of the year. Whether you're a diehard or a casual fan, every punch that lands could be another win at my bookie. Predict individual matchups, bet on the fight to go the distance, or bet on one of Tommy's personal favorites, he'll tell us in a second in this fight, uh, for a much bigger payout, maybe a, a fighter to win by knockout. No sport is as fun to bet as combat sports, and no sports book gives you more ways to win than MyBookie. And for a limited time only, join the MyBookie family, and you'll have your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Use my promo code KevinDC on sign-up to claim your bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Do you have a preference in this fight? Well, I mean, I would prefer the the guy who has a legitimate background in Anderson Silva. Right. He's the former MMA champion, a great MMA champion, but he's well past it. I mean, he he's got to be in, in his late forties, maybe even I don't know, mid forties, something like that. And he's fighting Jake Paul, who has carved out a, a profitable niche for himself in this novelty boxing. And he's literally undefeated in every fight he's fought. Right. I think he's five and zero or six and zero or something like that. So it's it's captured the interest of a lot of people. You know, I just it's so funny with these fights. You know how much I used to be into boxing, and by the way, there was no better weekend than the November or late October weekend weekend to be out in Vegas. I was out there many times during football season for a big fight and a football weekend with a bunch of friends. That was so much fun. Those weekends were epic because, you know, you'd get out there on Friday, late Friday, and everybody would meet, you know, down at the bar, and then we'd start gambling, and then somebody would say, wait a minute, there's still one more game left on the board. It's the Canucks and the Ducks are going in about three minutes and 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 they're they're dropping the puck and then we'd all fire in on one side or another um and then it was college football the next day and then the fight whatever the fight was that night and then the whole nfl sunday um the following day those were always uh those were great days um miss those those days uh but uh, if you're wondering about the fight odds um, at my bookie, uh, Jake Paul is a minus two twelve favorite um, to win the fight. Hey, uh, we have gotten some really good reviews. So many of you have really 
uh, you, you've been coachable. Um, we've asked you if you haven't reviewed and rated the show to do it, and you're doing it, and it's much appreciated, um, especially on Apple, where they keep you know a running uh, you know sort of billboard chart of the uh, top-rated podcasts, and and we do pretty well. We do a, very well in some countries that you wouldn't even think that we would do well in. But this is from a fan in Glendale, California. First listen to Kevin and Tom on 980, taking my daughter back to school in the summer when Tony took the summer off. Yeah, he always took the summer off. Uh, Still a loyal listener, and thanks to the two of you and Cooley, I know more about D.C. sports than I do about L.A. sports. You're way better than anything out here. My daughter lives in Bethesda now and looking forward to getting back to Balducci's for some more crumb cake and hopefully buying you all (laughs) around at Shelly's. Thank you uh, from Glendale, (laughs) California. Much appreciated. That's a good one. And uh, rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify and anywhere else um, you can rate and review uh, the podcast. I have a question for you, and we'll get right to some football. If Washington loses on Sunday at Indianapolis, do you think it would be a deflating loss? I don't want to call it a should win because they're an underdog in this game. You know, I'm sorry, but when you're an underdog in a game, even even though some of you don't really subscribe to the whole point spread thing, it's not a should-win game when you are an underdog. But is it a deflating loss if they lose to Indianapolis with a first-ever NFL starter, Sam Ehlinger? Okay, well, let me ask you a question to answer that question. Is is deflating and disappointing the same thing? Because it's not to me. Uh, I think they're pretty damn close. Yeah, I mean, I and I, and maybe that's the way I meant it. Like it's to me, there's the last winning two in a row. There's a, a building sort of momentum and excitement, and Taylor Heineke has a lot to do with that, and. They're playing, you know, it's it's not your schedule. It's who you're playing. It's much more about when you play them than who you're playing. And they got, you know, a break in, in playing the Packers, who are a mess right now. And they're playing the Colts, who are starting a third-string quarterback. He was third-string three weeks ago for his first-ever NFL start. And so I think there is, even though they're an underdog, this expectation of they're going to be 500. And they're going to be right back in this thing. And so I think deflating is like, oh, it's the, it's the air out of the balloon, which is starting to fill right now. And I think it's, I don't know, it's sort of the same as d- disappointing to me. But whatever, how do you want to d- describe it? I would say it, dis- it would be a disappointing defeat, which I, I think the expectations are there. I don't think they're high. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think deflating would mean like you're, you're kind of like pumped up. I think you're interested. I don't think I don't think people are pumped up. But I think they have a level of expectation that the team will win and that will mean something. They're still not sure what. All right, well let me go with the deflate here a minute. I think what it is that I have this sense is that people are getting excited about the possibility of being 500 and being legitimately back into a season. And a loss would completely um, 
kind of diminish that feeling right now, deflate that feeling right now. You know, uh, it, it would, it would, it would, it would really be kind of a, a feeling like, oh, we got all excited there for two weeks for nothing. They really aren't very good. I mean, you lose to Sam Ehlinger and the Colts who aren't very good. And now you're three and five. I mean, this is, this is really headed to like six wins, maybe seven versus a win, which is like, wow, here we go. We got a chance to win eight, nine games and be in the postseason. I think it's. I, I think that uh, there are a lot of people that have an expectation of them winning and getting to four and four, and I think it's a surprising feeling because two weeks ago, clearly, uh, you know, two weeks ago tonight they were getting ready to play Chicago, and there was the thought that they could easily lose that game to fall to one and five, and then everybody's you know potentially going to get fired, and there's going to be a new quarterback next year, and there's going to be a new everything, and instead, you know, when you win two in a row in this league, it turns. It turns it around quickly, especially in a conference right now and in a league that's so tight other than a few teams. I mean, everybody seems to be three and four or four and three. And I think that I think the expectations are tempered, at least by reasonable people, by the opponents that they played the last two weeks. I think most people expected them to beat Chicago. Okay. And I think they were disappointed uh by the win in the in the manner of which they played. Okay. And then they turned around and beat a Packers team that was clearly compromised uh, by by Aaron Rodgers' uh, situation. So I think I think people, smart people, have tempered their enthusiasm. That say, okay, let's see how they do against the Vikings. Your 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 whole um, tone on this is is a little bit surprising because the the reason. For those that that would feel deflated on Sunday night if they lost to the Colts, is Taylor Heineke as much as it is the back-to-back wins? And that's where you've been, kind of. You are, uh, not that you're a fan of the team, but you have this sense of, oh, they're much better off right now. So if he goes to the uh, Indianapolis, and let's just say part of the loss is they, that he doesn't play well, then this newfound hope of two wins in a row and, by the way, a better-suited quarterback for this team right now, it's the air out of the balloon. That is a bit – when you throw in the caveat that the loss is partly on him, uh, then that is the air out of the balloon. But I don't think it's a big balloon. Okay? It's not some <laughs> big hot air balloon. It's the kind of balloon you buy at the Giant – you know, for your kid's birthday kind of balloon. Is it the kind of balloons that, that Jim and Dwight half blow up for Kelly's uh, fake birthday party? Yes. <laughs> yes. Those balloons. That was Dwight who did that, I, by the way, not Jim. Absolutely. So, those balloons Okay. right there. So, I mean, I just don't think there's as much excitement as, you know, look, you probably know better than me. You talk to more fans than I do on your radio show. Uh, but people who are going to call the radio show are generally going to be excited one way or the other. So, But I just have a sense. My sense would be that smart people would think that they have a chance to win Sunday. Uh, and if they win, all that means is they're back to 500, and then they got to play a couple of teams that will probably beat them. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel differently. I feel like there is really a sense that, come on, I mean, you know, they're better at quarterback right now. And, you know, I'm not saying that those that feel that they're, you know, I, I think the, the reasonable approach by most people, not everybody, um, is, you know, the approach that they may be better off, that he's a better fit, that he's, you know, got more experience, that Scott Turner knows what he has, and therefore he might even be better with Taylor in there, that the team clearly believes in him. They love him uh, very much. Um, but at the same time, he's not the long-term answer. But in the short term, you know, they should beat Indianapolis. And by the way, Minnesota's been playing games like the Giants have been. Not exactly, but, you know, they're playing a lot of close games. So who knows? Maybe you come home and you beat Cousins. And now you're 5-4. and four, And, you know, 9-8 and eight is probably going to, you know, I was talking about this earlier on my radio show with Denton, my producer. You know, the Giants are 6-1 and one right now. And I asked him the question, um, the Giants or the Jets, who's the most likely to make the postseason? And he said the Giants, and I think I would say the Giants too. And the reason is they have like the Seahawks and the Texans. Well, the Seahawks are a big game. They have the Texans and the Lions. They have Washington twice. They've already got six wins. They only need three more to more likely than not have a really good position to snag the seven seed. Like nine and eight will likely be – the seven seed record. And if it's not nine and eight, it'll be 10 and seven. It's not going to be better than 10 and seven. So from that standpoint, they only need four more wins and they still have 10 games left. So if they go four and six, the rest of the way, they're a lock to make the postseason. a lock. And uh, so, you know, and I think if Washington gets to four and four, people are going to start doing that exercise. With Washington, they're going to be like, whoa, they have Houston uh, coming I, up. They have Atlanta. You know, they have uh, they have a game late in the year against the Browns. They have two games against the Giants. They'll actually think the games against the Giants are like equal matchups. And then they got the Cowboys at well, the end of the not, year. And... That's not reason- – those are not reasonable thoughts. <laughs> well, I didn't say that they would be reasonable. Okay, okay. Well, there's a lot of morons out there that, that thought they would win 12 games this year. I think they're. So are, are we going to? Is that going to be the template? I think there are a lot of people that are going to be deflated on Sunday night. I don't have a good feeling about this game, and I've had a really, really? good feeling. I've had a really good feeling, as you know. I thought that they were going to play Philadelphia tough. I thought they were going to play Dallas tough. I thought they were going to beat Tennessee. I think they. Were, I thought they were going to beat Chicago, and I, you know, I thought that the Green Bay game was going to come down to a field goal either way. I have. I have essentially picked them to to have a chance to win and to cover five games in a row and they haven't they didn't cover against the Eagles they didn't cover against the Cowboys they didn't cover against the Titans um they did cover against the Bears they did cover against the Packers I just can't get over the fact that the Colts are still sitting there as a three-point favorite that doesn't okay well that that there's something you think that there's something going on based on the point spread I do uh and you you have you have you have reason to believe that I mean that comes from years of 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 taking beatings. Okay, so can I give you the analysis uh, over, over on why here. they're a three-point favorite? Yeah. Indianapolis is pretty damn good on defense, too. You know, I, I spent some time talking about Washington's defense, and is it a good defense, or is it just a defense that's played well against bad opponents? If you actually really look at their last five games, it's been a good defense and an excellent run defense. I mean, they're the only team that has shut down the Eagles and the Cowboys on the ground. 
You know, and that was before we started talking about two wins in a row over two really bad and limited uh, offensive teams. So I, I think Washington's a good defensive team. They're certainly a good rush defense. Indianapolis is a pretty damn good defensive team too. And they're getting Leonard back uh, in, into the lineup. So I, I think that the Colts are going to be capable of perhaps slowing Washington down. They're going to, by the way, they should probably pay, play Washington the same way Washington will play Ailinger. The, I, I see a very kind of low-scoring game. You know, like I've predicted all of these games here recently to be low scoring. And they have been with the exception of, you know, 23-21 actually went over the total last week. Washington and Indy have the lowest total on the board right now at 39 um, for all of the games this weekend. There are a couple that are close. Uh, I just think Indy's really good on defense. It'll be, you know, it's not, it's not Dallas on defense. It's not Philly on defense. But they're better on defense than the Packers and the Bears. I actually think the Packers are, have talent on defense, but they just haven't played well. Um, so if they move the football, by the way, Washington does, and they score points, I'm going to be impressed this week on the road against a good defensive team. Now, if Washington keeps, you know, if, if the Colts go 0 for 6 on third down and they keep turning the ball back over to Washington's offense for chances, then you can eventually wear the other team down. There was some of that involved last week. But I think that the the odds makers are looking at this saying, Matt Ryan was committing all of these turnovers, and if Ailinger just doesn't turn the ball over, then their defense will keep a minute and win the game against Washington. I think that's what they're thinking. So I think this is a tough game Sunday. Well, I think they're all tough games for them. Yes. Look at the Bears. Was an un- were, was an unbelievable tough game, but that was Carson Wentz. And now, yeah. So <laughs> I just think they're all go- they're all going to be tough games. Yeah, uh, you know that and like a lot of NFL games that we see. But I don't have the same gloom and doom that you do. The same not gloom and doom, but the same uh, fearful feeling about the outcome on Sunday. So okay. uh, again, I think I think you know they'll get back to the start. They'll be at 500, like the season's starting again, and then they'll and then they'll take a beating for a while, and they'll wind up maybe with eight wins if they're lucky. Okay. Well, you know, see, and that's who we thought they would be. If no gonna, matter who was quarterback, if they're going to get to eight, they got to win Sunday. If they if they're going to get to eight, they've got to win Sunday. Yeah, that, that yeah, get, you're right. <clears throat> you know, because if they don't get to eight, they've got nine left. That means they have, they got to go five and four over their final nine. Yeah, you're right. And I, they do I, have to win Sunday. I don't know if that happens. Um, okay. Uh, so I wanted to play this sound. For, first of all, there were some NFL things yesterday. The, the Eagles are something else, man. Howie Roseman. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, Howie Roseman <laughs> really is, uh, you know, one of the best wheeler and dealer general managers in the game. I mean, they traded a fourth rounder for Robert Quinn and the bears are picking up his salary. Um, Adam Schefter tweeted out, even after trading for Robert Quinn today, CJ Gardner Johnson last summer and AJ Brown uh, and Jordan Davis on draft day. That's that was the selection. They moved up to take Jordan Davis. The Eagles are still scheduled to have six picks in the 2023 draft, including two in the first round theirs and the saints pick. Uh, Yeah, he is, I saw Andrew Brandt um, uh, tweet something out. I want to read it real quickly about Howie Roseman and the Eagles. 
It's kind of uh, interesting. This, the, you know, Andrew Brandt, the former uh, president of the Green Bay Packers for years. Um, he said, Howie Roseman's roasting of young general managers should draw some sort of legislation. Uh, he also <laughs> he also had, there was something else in here he tweeted. Whatever. It's essentially, you know, Roseman's playing ch- uh, chess versus everybody else playing checkers. Uh, the, the Eagles just added Robert Quinn. You know, they lost Derek Barnett earlier in the year. They certainly have an excellent defense. They just added a guy that's really capable. Now, he's been a little bit inconsistent recently, but he's also not been on great teams. And uh, the Eagles are set up. You know, and he, he, go ahead. And he won't be asked to do as much as he was where? In Chicago? Um, that's right. Where yeah. was yeah, I mean, he, he, won't he, was be, in he won't play as much, you know. He'll 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 be more rested. He'll be healthier. Uh, it, it's a better fit for him, right? Uh, so that happened in the NFL yesterday, um, and I think we're going to have a very active trade line. We've kind of already the trade deadline. We've already kind of had it. You know, the NFL in recent years has become not baseball, but so much different than it used to be. The NFL trade deadline, you know, I bet we only have to go back back five, six, seven years. Most people didn't even know when it was. You really weren't paying that much attention. Big dead, deadline deals just didn't happen that often. Um, now they do. I mean, teams are, are moving players when they feel like they've got nothing left uh, in the season at hand. Um, well, this, this is why a win, perhaps, on Sunday – help set this franchise back yes in some ways you could say that now they're going to still try to get something for william jackson yeah but but you know deron Payne is sitting out there as a very tradable commodity uh you know if if they if they know that the season is is probably lost and if they're back to 500 they're not going to trade deron Payne. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I just would not want pain traded. And I and I think even if they lose on Sunday, they just understand his importance to their defense right now. Um, I don't think he's going to get traded. Uh, but uh, there has been interest. I mean, Ben Standings reported that you know, teams and others, I think, now have reported that teams have expressed interest in Washington uh, for Deron Payne. So, you know, yesterday um, there was this video circulating of an interview with Russell Wilson. Denver's playing uh, a, a one of the, the an international game this weekend against Jacksonville in London, and I then then I think there's maybe one or two more. I know there's one in Germany this year with I think Brady is playing the game in Germany. Uh, the Buccaneers and there, there's a Mexico City game too. I think yeah, there's a Mexico City game exactly. So this is the third, and there there are two more after this, but. Russell Wilson, you know, who was injured and didn't play last week, but is going to play this week. Um, he uh, was interviewed about how the flight was over to London and what he was doing on the flight, and here's what he said. I don't really get jet lag too often. You know, I don't, I don't really, um, you know, I've traveled enough to, to get, you know, kind of get my system down. But, uh, yeah, for me, I was on the plane the first two hours. I was, uh, first two hours, about eight, what was it, eight hours flight here? The so first two hours I was watching the film. Get, watching all the cut-ups and everything else. And then for the next four hours, I was doing treatment on the plane. I was walking up and down the aisles. Everybody was knocked out. I was doing high knees and working on my, working on my legs and everything else, you know, making sure I'm ready to rock. Uh, so that was good. And then the last two hours, of, the last hour of that, I, I watched. I fell asleep for one hour, and I watched the film the rest. So 
Uh, I felt felt good to go once we got back, and then we had you know coaches did a great job. We um, coach Landau and the, and the whole coaching staff they had us um, do a little movement. So we got here, did a little movement, got in the I did my pool workout, did all that, and then uh, I don't know I maybe maybe rested for about two three hours once I got home, and I feel great. So the first time you've done treatment on a plane, or do you do it? Is that, is that happening uh, before in your career? No, I mean I I do it you know yeah. when I need to you know especially when it's a longer flight. The more the more you move, the better you feel when you get off of it. So I, I've got my secrets. I got my Movements and then uh, tons of water. It always helps. I appreciate you guys. Let's go Broncos. Let's ride. I'll see you guys. We've we've now heard it, you know, too many times since the trade that this guy really was kind of insufferable in Seattle. I mean, you know, we, we there was the big story, Tommy, right before the season started about the trade and the saga of the trade to Denver and how John Schneider, their GM, actually tried to deal Russell Wilson back in 2017 to Cleveland for the first overall pick. You know, I hadn't heard that before, that he wanted to draft. He would have drafted Mahomes had he fallen to them, that he really liked Josh Allen. Like, they've been constantly looking for quarterbacks. Um, he obviously was not uh, a super popular player on the team. There was this recent uh, podcast or Zoom podcast with Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch, and they were laughing about Russ because they said, yeah, just call – I think Sherman said, just call Russ up. And Marshawn just started to laugh. And Sherman said, you want to tell him or, or should I? Apparently you had to go through Russ's manager to reach him. He didn't give his cell phone out to any of his teammates. If you needed to reach him wow. after hours, you had to go through his manager to reach him. Um, we, we heard clearly that there were, you know, there was a lot of tension between Russ and the coaching staff and the locker room over the years and that story that was written. And they 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 wanted to get rid of him and he wanted to go. And I don't know. I mean, he's up doing, you know, high knees on the plane. Everybody else, everybody else is sleeping. I'm doing all the work here to get ready. He's just, can you imagine if he had been traded here and they were two and five and had scored a hundred points? That's all Denver has scored a hundred points in their games. They're averaging less than 15 a game. All of their games, by the way, have been close. They have a lot of talent on that team too. Can you imagine if Washington was two and five, a hundred points, and they were going to Europe, and he was talking about doing knee bends and high knees, uh, walking up and down uh, the plane as everybody else was sleeping? I mean, we we'd be torching him right now, torching him. Yeah, yeah, we would. Yeah, we would. But let's not forget. Let's, uh, you know, I that's wanted the him. Bad Russell Wilson. I wanted him exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And. and and let's really go back in the past that uh, that Mike Shanahan, if R, if the whole RG three thing didn't happen, Mike Shanahan said that he would have drafted uh, he would have drafted uh, oh he would have drafted uh, in the Russell fourth Wilson round in, in the. In, in the, the fourth, fourth round. round, yes, he. If yes, that's, that's right. If he had still been available, it was it was Russell Wilson before, and then Cousins. He was going to take another yes. quarterback. Uh, if if it were if Wilson and Cousins, he didn't want to. They didn't want to take one in the third round in 2012. But in the fourth round, right. they were going to take a quarterback. And if it had been Wilson, he would have taken Wilson. But Wilson was gone in the third, and so they took Cousins. Yeah. 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 So. I know people who covered him in Seattle who said he was an insufferable phony. But it was a pretty good run with Russell Wilson in Seattle. It I was mean, a, let's, let's, it let's was a great that. run. It was yes. an incredible yes. run. 
I yeah. mean, he, but I, I want to just remind you real quickly because I just pulled up the draft because you and I, we were laughing hysterically and then we ended up having him on the draft show. In the third round. I remember, I know who you're going to say. Who? Who? <laughs> John Belushi. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't John Belushi. It was Josh Laribus. <laughs> Same thing. I know. They drafted <laughs> Josh Laribus. And they picked Josh Laribus four picks before Russell Wilson went to Seattle. And they weren't going to use their third rounder. They were going to use a fourth rounder, Mike told us, on a quarterback. And it was going to be Wilson if he was there. And if it wasn't Wilson, it was going to be Cousins if he was there. Uh, and I think he liked Nick Foles, too, if I recall. Um, but liked Wilson and Cousins uh, next. And they took Josh Laribus. And, and he wasn't anywhere on any sort of... Remember, we were looking for, you know, all of the uh, the, the draft previews and, you know, uh, our, our, our fearless uh, uh, producer and, and program director, Chuck Sapienza, would provide us with like this booklet of draft information when we were doing drafts. And we were we were looking through every single guard that was listed in the draft preview and Laribus wasn't anywhere. I mean, he, he was not even supposed to be drafted. and They drafted him in the third round. Um, but anyway. Uh, I'm looking at Josh Reeves' Wikipedia page. Let's remember, he played 50 NFL games. He I know. played for the Eagles, yes. the Saints, and the Bucks. Uh, so he played seven seasons. He started 15 games. He played in 50. So he had an NFL career. Right. You know, he's going he's gonna to get a pension. Uh, so he'll have something to show for it. But there's one sentence in here. During a 2013 off-season training camp, Rebus came in 30 pounds overweight and out of shape. He was listed as inactive for the entire 2013 season. Mm. Yeah, but they stuck with him. They kept him after that. Well, and Mike liked him because he fit the, the, the Shanahan kind of offensive lineman. He was nimble yeah. and he was athletic and he could move. It wasn't, you know, that he was overpowering or big. Um, but back to Russell Wilson. You know, no matter what is said about Russell Wilson, and and I think we're going to be here for a couple of years for the end of his career, and then perhaps after his career, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about, I think, you know, what Russell Wilson was like personally to deal with. But you can't, you can't deny his greatness. He carried yeah, he's the a Seattle. Hall of Fame quarterback. He carried the Seattle Seahawks to prominence. I know that they went to a Super Bowl with Matt Hasselbeck and lost to the Steelers back in 2005. Fine. You know, and Jim Zorn at one point when they were in the AFC was a big deal. But but they weren't very good. Uh, Russell Wilson is going to go down along with Steve Largent and maybe Kenny Easley as the greatest players in the history of that franchise. In fact, Russ is going to be one. What are we talking about? Russell Wilson's going to be one. They won a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson. He was a pro bowler every single year in Seattle with the exception of 2016. Uh, they still went 10-5-1. He did not miss a game as a starter until last year when he missed two games. You know, And then he came back, and he wasn't right physically when he came back, including that game against Washington. He was maybe limited as a pocket passer to a certain degree, but it didn't matter because he was elite at everything else. And, I mean, this guy, no, no, you're 100% right. He's first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no wait for him after five years. He's in the Hall of Fame. And yet Pete Carroll and John Schneider were trying, or Schneider was trying to move on from him. 
They agreed to yeah. they offered him in 2017. In 2017, they offered him to Cleveland for the first overall pick in the draft. I mean, he still had four years left after that. And they ended up signing him to a big deal. His record as a starting quarterback in Seattle was 104-53-1. and 292 touchdown passes, 87 interceptions. Not just a pro bowler in every year but one, but an all-pro four times. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing, though. Uh, I've said this before about a lot of people. If you're gonna be, if you're gonna be strange, if you're gonna be a jerk, if you're gonna be difficult, there's no room for error. No. Nope. I mean, you've got to be so good that you can make your own rules, and he did for a long time. Yeah. But he's not that now, and people are gonna pounce on everything. Every little idiosyncrasy, and there's a lot of them, apparently, when it comes to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if it's jerk as much as massive diva. You know, like a, a diva of the highest level. You know, uh, really caught up, you know, beautiful, gorgeous wife. Really caught up in the, you know, Hollywood celebrity, in being a celebrity. And I think that's yeah. probably what it was more than anything else. And you, when you're a high-level celebrity, you just don't give your phone number out to anybody, even people you work is with. What, <laughs> is that what you do? Huh? I, give my, I give my phone number out to everybody. In fact, there okay. are people that have my phone number that I really wish I had never given my phone number out to. <laughs> Somebody, I'll just tell you real quickly, um, asked my producer the other day, he's... I won't mention, he's been a long-time caller and listener, and he said, do you mind giving me Kevin's email? And so my producer said, you know, hey, do you mind if I give him your email? And I said, nope, but I'll tell you what, if he had asked for my cell phone, I don't think I would have given him my cell phone. Getting emails, you know, is one thing, because, you know, a lot of it, you know, you, I, you just get a lot of email. Um, but there's nothing worse than, than, you know, having your phone with you all the time and just seeing one text message or something pop up after another. Uh, let me give you, let me give you some advice on that front. Yeah. Get a second email. I do. Give that one out. I do. I have, I have multiple emails. I have two, I have two email addresses. I don't know. Okay. Because I have, I have an email address that I I give out generally to anybody, and then I have my email address that I just give out to my thousands of friends. Um, There are several things I want to get to, including Tommy's prediction on Sunday's game, which we'll get to, Tommy's prediction on the World Series uh, as well. I do have an early smell test pick um, for the Thursday night game, which is a really good game tonight. Or I should say, it's a very interesting game, Tampa Bay hosting um, the Ravens, uh, the Ravens. But I want to get to a report from Albert Breer that we missed on Tuesday. It may have come out later on Tuesday um, about Washington's owner and the Mary Jo White investigation. And also, we promised you guys that we would talk more about some of the other stuff that happened from the weekend, and we did not get to that on Tuesday. We'll get to that next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, 
match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's Backroom, one of our favorite sponsors. Well, if you're out there and you've got nothing to do tonight and you want to watch the game with me, come down to Shelly's Backroom at 1331 F Street. After I get done teaching my business and sports media class at Georgetown on Thursday nights, I always head over to uh, Shelly's to uh, have a smoke, uh, uh, you know, some, something to eat from their great menu, an unbelievably good menu. And they got a pretty good crowd on Thursday nights to watch football. Yeah, I bet they They've do. got multiple TVs there. And here's the thing. They have not just one room, but they have two rooms. When you walk into Shelly's, there's the bar on the left with the room, and then there's a room on the right with tables and chairs, comfortable tables and chairs. Right. You know, soft lighting, overstuffed chairs. So there's lots of room. For, for people to come into Shelly's and, and watch uh, Thursday night football. Uh, it's really the only place like, like it in town. It's the only place where you can go have a smoke uh, and enjoy being with your friends and have a great drink. They have a remarkable list of whiskeys that are available as well. Uh, a lot of great draft beer selection. And it's just, as, as, as Frank Costanza and sign and uh, and Kramer once said on Seinfeld, "It's the place to be." It's the place to be. Yes, it is. Yes, as Morty yes, Seinfeld once said, "The executive is one hell of a raincoat," um, <laughs> and you can wear and you can wear that raincoat into into Shelley's. That episode was from yes, last night. I think that episode, which is a two parter, <laughs> is one of the best ever. Uh, because you got the yeah. raincoat thing going, the raincoat thing going on. You got the Costanzas, and and you've got the Seinfelds. The Seinfelds don't want anything to do with the Costanzas, who have made all this paella and have inter- have invited them over. That is a brilliant episode. Um, Shelley's back room's awesome, and uh, the you know as you've mentioned many times, it's such a good crowd down there. Great spot to go, have a cigar, have you know have dinner, watch sports with some great conversation. 13th and F Streets, uh, Northwest. So I have this for you. I don't know if you saw this, but you know how I feel about last week with Jim Irsay saying what he said. And then to me, what was what stood out from that day after the Ursay thing, which I, I agree with you and Sally and everybody else, this was significant, understood. But what bothered me about the day and what I t- told you last week bothered me the most about the day was the emphasis from the commissioner on, you know, let's not speculate about this thing. We have to wait 
for the facts to come out. And the facts that he was referring to, the facts he were uh, referring to, were the Mary Jo White investigation facts. To which I said, well, that's stupid. I mean, there's so much more here. And it, it can't be about just this investigation that's missing the forest for the trees. Well, Albert Breer wrote the following the other day on SI.com. Quote, there's a fear among a certain corner of NFL owners that things are setting up for commander's owner Daniel Snyder to come out of this mess in possession of his team. And here's how they'll fear it'll go down. The NFL's investigator, Mary Jo White, will have inconclusive findings on the charge that Snyder was hiding ticket revenue, which will then allow the league to tie that to the fact that the workplace culture in Washington has improved and effectively moved the goalposts, letting the commander's owner off the hook. Breer says that the fear of the fix being in for Snyder flows from an old school, new school split that seems to be emerging inside ownership ranks. In one corner are the families that have owned franchises for decades. In the other are the go-go billionaires who made money in other lines of work and bought football franchises in an effort to add fame or notoriety to their immense wealth. Uh, The league brushed the Beth Wilkinson investigation under the rug, yada, yada, yada. The fear is that this is the setup that's coming. That's Albert Breer reporting this. And that's exactly the way I felt when I listened to the commissioner. I was concerned. I hope I'm wrong, and maybe it'll, it'll be something else. But I don't like the insistence on or the emphasis on this Mary Jo White investigation. It is a tiny part of the overall picture which is really a picture of it doesn't matter at this point what these investigations you know, can conclusively prove or not. This market is a dead market until he leaves. Okay. Uh, look, Albert Breer knows the NFL insider much better than I do. But let me give an alternative viewpoint here. Uh, things have changed since the results of the Beth Wilkinson uh, investigation were announced never revealed, but announced by the league. That was over a year ago, okay? Things have changed, I think, pretty dramatically in our culture right now. Uh, And I'm writing about this tomorrow. I think right now the new third rail is workplace culture. I mean, Jim Ursay used the word workplace specifically in his comments about Dan Snyder. Uh, I think... Things have checked, things have moved rapidly to the point the Surgeon General, just like last week, issued a report about the damage of toxic workplaces on people to to help create a national conversation about this issue. I mean, I think right now, what what was a ten million dollar donation to his charity and a slap on the wrist, I think the consequences of a toxic workplace have changed dramatically, and I think that's going to come into play. I think, I think they're going to revisit the whole thing. Uh, whether there's enough owners to do that, that, maybe there is a split, like Albert Breer talked about, but I don't know if, I don't think you need the smoking gun that we've all waiting, been waiting for. I think the toxic workplace may just indeed be the smoking gun, and it doesn't matter if you fixed it, we're talking about consequences, you know? That's like saying you fix the sexual misconduct, 
you know, but there's got to be consequences involved. So I think that the, the whole discussion about toxic workplace is going to come into play when it comes to deciding what Dan Snyder's future is. I th- my, my pushback on that would be that the league believes that that matter is resolved, that the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, the $10 million fine and the quasi-suspension of him, which really wasn't, that that is a resolved matter. And the team, all of what they told the team to implement after that with respect to, you know, improving their HR uh, uh, department and, and the culture in the organization and having an independent auditor that would come in to review that on a quarterly basis, they've done all that. And so now what they're looking for is, did he rip the league off or was there this new allegation from Tiffany Johnston that's got you know, some, some legs to it, no pun intended. And I think, um, I think the toxic workplace has risen to that same level. Yeah, but right they, now. but they consider it to be a resolved matter. If there's nothing well, new... Well, part of the resolved matter is the sexual misconduct. Yes. Unless you think he's damn still going around doing stuff. That, but what I'm saying to you is the toxic workplace, which, by the way, Roger Goodell had some harsh words in June of 2021 when they fined him $10 million. There was a, a, the discussion of how toxic a workplace it was. By the way, there was a lot of emphasis in that particular statement from the commissioner, I don't have it in front of me, about intimidation and bullying, which I'm telling yeah. you, Tommy, has always been, for like Goodell and the other owners, the thing that they really do and have some teeth to when it comes to Dan specifically, directly, the way he treated people was in an intimidating and bullying manner. You know, we've heard all the stories. Don't look at him, call him Mr. Snyder. If he's walking by you, you're not even allowed to look at him, et cetera, et cetera. And the, you know, the the minimizing of of, of lower underlings and meetings, you know, just the, the, the Napoleonic complex thing um, with him. But none of the actual sexual misconduct or sexual harassment things have actually been other than he said, she said, with respect to directly related to him. But that part of the uh, toxic workplace, the sexual harassment, etc., that is a matter that they deem to be, with respect to the Wilkinson investigation, resolved. So if you don't get anything... So what's the point? What's the point of the Mary Jo White probe? There was another allegation that came out after the Wilkinson investigation from Tiffany Johnston. Well, let's, and then so, they so added to that the Jason they, Friedman stuff. So let's say Mary Jo White finds that that she is credible, and this did happen. Well, your, that's your, your that's premise different. still exists. No, that's your, no your premise still because that, that that's in the the past. They put that behind them. No, 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 they no, resolved no. that. No, but that would that you're would, talking about no, 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 because that would be directly something involving Dan. If she finds that he was guilty of her charges, well, that's the first time. That somebody in an investigation said Dan sexually harassed an employee, a cheerleader. So that that'll that'll do him in. What Albert Breer is saying is that the fix might be in that Mary Jo White is going to find inconclusive results. And by the way, I think we've always talked about as it relates to Tiffany Johnston. Those are pretty hard allegations to prove. His hand was on my leg underneath a table at a meeting. He tried to shove me into, 
you know, a, a vehicle to give me, you know, and, and that was corroborated by Jason Friedman, who has a big credibility issue himself. And those are the other allegations that came up during the Mary Jo White investigation of the Tiffany Johnston allegations that they then added the Jason Friedman stuff to her plate. So she, But they certainly can connect Dan Snyder to multiple instances of toxic workplace behavior. Which is what he was fined $10 million to do for. With, yeah, I know. And I'm saying what was a $10 million fine a, a year ago doesn't seem like enough anymore to some of these owners. I agree. I don't think it's a mistake that, that Ursa used the word workplace. I think right now in this society, in this culture we're in, and it, things move fast, I think they're looking at the whole Snyder thing in, in a different light. Um, I, look, I hope you're right, but I think I think relying on the Mary Jo White investigation is really dicey. Now, if Mary Jo White well, I think it's finds become, something... Come down to more than that. Well, I hope you're right, except for Albert Breer is reporting that this is... The fix is in. That, 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 that they are relying on, on somebody who may provide inconclusive results. Which, by the way... Well, they fear the fix is in. Okay, fine. Uh, again, that's my fear, too. I have no idea whether or not it'll happen. I hope it doesn't. I hope she has something conclusive. And if she doesn't have something conclusive, I hope they say, well, she didn't find anything conclusive, but we still have six other investigations, and we have the major problem. And again, this is the real crux of this issue. Whether these things produce conclusive results related to him specifically or not... The market is dead, and the only chance it has to come back is for him to go. And so they have to convince him to sell the team. Even if they don't have the 24 votes, they've got to get, you know, Sally suggested it'll be a Jerry sit down with Dan saying, look, you know, they tried to smear you. None of this stuff really stuck, but that doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is nobody in your city wants you to own the team anymore. And because of that, you can't get a stadium built. You can't get season ticket holders. You can't get corporate sponsors. It is a disaster. And the only chance that that market has to, to succeed is for you to go. And we're going to get you $7 billion for your franchise or whatever it is you said the number was the other day. You know, there was also something else that, that came out the other day. Um, Neil and Rockville had sent this to me a while ago, and so I felt badly because somebody wrote about this the other day, and I don't have it in front of me. But it's basically one of the bylaws in the NFL owner's bylaws that essentially says, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, that a hearing has to be called. Like the, the owner that is being outed, that is being ousted, gets a hearing. And the typical, you know, courtroom... Uh, you know, uh, procedures of, of evidence don't apply, meaning that Dan can bring anything into the room and bring it up. So if they've got 24 votes and he holds a hearing, he can come in and say, oh, really? Oh, really, Bob Kraft? What about this thing? What about this thing, uh, Tepper? What about this thing? Are these things Jerry, plural, with Jerry? Come on. Who do you think controls that hearing? What do you mean? Just like a judge in a courtroom. Who do you think controls that hearing? Uh, what do you mean? Goodell? The owners? Well, I'm just saying, the, the, the owners and the NFL are going to run that hearing. Right. 
But they, but Not they, Dan. but according to the bylaws, it doesn't matter. Dan, oh, come on. Dan, what does that mean? That Dan's mean the defendant. Shit. Dan's the defendant. I know, but it's not a court of law. Exactly. You know, this is like a. This is going to be like a Judge Roy Bean case. Yeah, but, but Tommy, okay, that's not. You the... Open your mouth. You you spoke for two minutes, Dan. You're done. Guilty. Right, and then all of what he br- brought to the table, which he was he's allowed to bring cur- uh, per the bylaws, the constitutional bylaws among the owners, all of that gets transcribed and is made public. That's the why? Fe- that's the fear. Why do you think that would get... That's tra- not the bylaws. The bylaws. I mean, what are you talking about? What do you mean, I what am I talking about? I can't believe that you're buying into this. Well, I'm, uh, the bylaws. It's for, not the Constitution. I, it's the NFL in charge of their own organization. They, obviously, they decide what, is, what gets what are made you public missing? and what What are you doesn't. missing? The defendants, Dan Snyder. He's not a normal defendant. I, He's not going to play by the rules. I know that. He'll release what he'll release. Of what course. I'm saying is, in the NFL, in that hearing, yeah. nothing's going to happen for Dan Snyder. Well, Nothing. Okay, so... It's absurd. Well, I don't know if it's absurd or not. The, 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 they, they have rules among the owners if an owner is, if they try to oust an owner. The owner has rights per their bylaws. If you think they're just going right. to tear them up and ignore them, I don't know why you would think that. Um, now, in terms, of not, in terms of giving them a bullshit hearing and saying, hey, say what you want to say, but we're voting you out anyway, I'm not going to dispute that. My point is, if he gets into that situation and he starts bringing up all the shit on all the other owners, which we've all thought all along, and it's been part of the conversation even since Ursay, is the whole fear of he'll go scorch earth well he's going to go scorched earth right there in that hearing but he's going to do that anyway and then you also have to do that anyway you you also have the whole ability in in that situation per those bylaws which by the way those are agreements tommy among the owners they're contracts and they're bylaws written that you then open it up for much easier you know uh a lawsuit ability on snyder's part if they if they okay, don't so give them a fa- if they don't lawsuits. give them a fair he- if they don't give them a fair hearing, there's going to be lawsuits. There's going to be lawyers. Uh, I think to to actually consider that that Dan Snyder's salvation may be a hearing before the NFL owners is just an absurdity. I don't know if it's his salvation. I'm just telling you these are some of the issues that uh, that a lot of people that are studying this situation legally are saying are going to be roadblocks for the league and are going to be problematic for the league. I don't. I, you know, I haven't heard that that many people uh, who have said that. I've only yeah. heard one, the one that you brought up. No, there's a whole thread. I'm going to pull it up right now because Don Van Natta and Seth Wickersham were – we're all over this last week, um, earlier this week, because um, maybe I'm not explaining it well enough to you, because you, you you seem uh, you, you're you're off on this. So Seth Wicker, so this guy Daniel Wallach, who is a, uh, a, a an attorney, a sports attorney, and he's the legal analyst, analyst for the Athletic. He pulled up 8.13 from the NFL owners and bylaws. At the hearing, the member or person so charged shall have the right to appear in person and by counsel. Strict rules of evidence shall not apply, and any testimony and documentary evidence submitted to the hearing shall be received and considered. To, with, to which... 
like Seth Wickersham uh, and Don Vanatta and others said, this thread highlights why asking whether there are 24 owners willing to remove Dan Snyder is the wrong wrong question. The question is, what happens after the 24 vote to remove him? Uh, that's what, you know, this is a concern to some that are, you know, would like the same result, but they're saying here are some of the issues that will then pop up. Um, but what I'm saying is those issues will pop up no matter what. Dan Snyder's going gonna, to, you know, put that information out there, uh, whether he's allowed to in a hearing or not. And I, I just hi- highly doubt that the NFL is just going to let him have carte blanche to open up his little black book about all the NFL owners <laughs> at a hearing that they will, they will control. Hey, it's my turn. It's my turn. Okay, I've heard the charges. Now, my my attorney and I, uh, we have a little black book that like we'd like to open up and we'd like to start giving you our personal view, which, again, according Objection, to the bylaws, the rules of evidence shall not apply. It's not a courtroom hearing. It's not the courtroom rules. So he can bring anything that he wants to bring. Um, you know, th- this guy Wallach said, the use of mandatory shall strongly suggests that the presiding officer has no discretion to disallow any testimony or documentary evidence submitted, regardless of whether or not it satisfies the judicial standard for admissibility. And this is what did he... he say that, did he say that's an absolute or did he suggest it? Uh, strongly suggests, actually, more than just suggesting okay. it. He strongly suggests How it. How many hearings have and, we and, had and, like and, this in the history of the NFL? Uh, I, I don't think any, right? No, I don't think any. Yeah. So nobody has a clue what's going to happen in this hearing. <laughs> I didn't say anybody has a clue. I'm just telling you people who, by the way, have much more expertise in, in, than you do in this are suggesting some of the things that could unfold. And yes, they could. And, th- and what started this yes, conversation is once again the Mary Joe White investigation and the emphasis on the results of that investigation. Which, for someone who doesn't want Dan here anymore, I would recommend that the results of that investigation, unless they are conclusive that he sexually harassed or he stole from the league, shouldn't matter at all because it's a much bigger issue than what she's investigating. But they well, see- ultimately, I, I, I think they, they think they already have their smoking gun. At least some owners think they do. What is the smoking gun? The workplace uh, culture. Well, they had I think that. Jim Irsay they brought it up. They had that a year and a half ago. I know that, but it didn't go. I know that, but that was the commissioner's punishment. I'm saying that things have changed in the past year. You think things have changed with respect to toxic workplace that much in the last year? Oh. You don't think it was a big deal a year and a half ago or two years ago? I, I think it's a far bigger deal when the Surgeon General issues a, a warning uh, about the, the, ish, the, the effects of toxic workplace. Yeah, I think that's a statement. Okay. Um, there was something else I, want to get, I wanted to get to that is not football-related uh, for, for, as far as the team goes. So... Um, our friend John Orand, who writes for Sports Business Journal, I saw he tweet he tweeted this story out written by Sports Business Journal's Terry Lefton. 
Um, he wrote about the commander's name change. I don't know if you saw this. We didn't talk about it. The, the commanders began the NFL team's rebrand with around 1,200 suggestions for new names. Still, Commander's Chief Creative and Digital Officer Will Misselbrook said during a Wharton conference session on branding that the team's biggest concern was one endemic to D.C., secrecy. At the same time, we wanted to keep our fans involved in the process and take them behind closed doors as much as we could. But secrecy was a big deal. And then as as far as the rationale behind the Commander's being the name that was chosen, quote, It was a word we could brand with and be more than just a football team. If your team name is an animal, you are kind of restricted. This allowed us to go into a much bigger space, into media, food, fashion, pop culture, and music, closed quote. When I read this last night when John Oran sent it out, it reminded me of something, which Ben was reminded of too, Ben Standing, because he tweeted out something that I was trying to remember and couldn't. And that was something that Jason Wright had said with respect to the name. He had said back in 2021, we're we're also creating a name, brand, and identity that can transcend sport and help with the broader business strategy, closed quote. Okay, why am I bringing all this up? Because I've said many times over the last couple of years that Uh, You know, Jason told me, for all intents and purposes, that his job wasn't to win football games. His job was to build a business that was, quote, losing resilient, close quote. And that, and and I remember saying to him, how do you do that in sports? How can you lose on the field but still have a really good business, minus the media, you know, dollars that will always be there for the NFL? And he pointed to Miami. They said they've got an incredible stadium. It's an incredible stadium experience. They own a Formula One team. They're invested in that. And this, you know, uh, team president who came from the McKinsey world, who, by by the way, is also a huge soccer, international sports soccer fan, was essentially tasked with, doesn't matter what with what matter what Rivera does. I can't have as an excuse for not building a business a losing football team. And so that's where all of this is coming from. And that's apparently where the name came from. It was a name that they thought they could build into a much broader strategy, as Will Misselbrook said, um, to uh, to tap into where was I reading this? I just had this up a second ago um, to tap into the world of food, fashion, pop culture, and music. I'll just tell you what I think about this, and then I want your response. I think when you are the Washington football franchise and you're looking for a new name, you better pick something that people like more than anything else, and you better be less concerned about building some big-time broad brand because you don't have the fans that you used to have, and winning is the way that it'll be brought back. You know, this focusing on everything else except winning on the field is it's peanuts compared to what really will carry the load, what will pay the freight, and that is a winning football team. The name stinks. I don't even understand how the name Commanders and Take Command and all these different ways that they say command ends up lending itself to brand build in the world of food, fashion, media, pop culture, and music. But, of course, these people are lifetime 
consultants, big time consultants with big, yeah. you know, uh, Harvard Business School degrees and Wharton degrees. So uh, and Chicago Business School degrees, I think, is Jason's. So good for them. I'm sure they've got it all figured out. How's it going? Look, you pointed you pointed out, and rightfully so, that I think it's a good idea to think on those terms. But that's like talking about decorating the house before you've even put up the foundation and the framework. You know, yeah. you need to rebuild the home. Yeah. You need to make it strong. You need to make it stand up, a place to live, before you start talking about the interior decoration that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna wow the neighbors and things like that, and the and the the yard and the, the yard work and the all that stuff. That's what that's what the the other marketing really is. And I, I think for an, or like I think the Dallas Cowboys in part do just that. You know, I think there are teams like they told out like the Dolphins that that do just that. But before you can do that, you have to rebuild the foundation here. You can't start at a hundred miles an hour. And yeah. and and here's the other problem too. <laughs> you know, until you rebuild that foundation, you're not going to get competent people to work for you to carry out this impressive but massive job of creating a brand that's losing resilience. You also, yeah, you also need a stadium to do that, a brand new stadium, and you're not going to get that until the owner leaves. Um, but right. but you are right, and that's that's the analogy. I mean, you, you know, let's get the turkey, mashed potatoes, and gravy on the plate before we go for the creamed onions and green bean casserole. Yeah. I mean, those things are, yeah. uh, first of all, they don't even taste that great, and they don't generate enough activity, but... Um, I d- look, it's an impossible job. Being the, the the lead business person for this organization is an impossible job in this market right now with the owner being there. I guarantee you, if you injected Truth Serum into all of the business people in that building, they would tell you, we, could build, we can build a business as long as he's not here. If he goes, we can build a business. As long as he's here, we can't. I think that yeah. that is a realization that they didn't have when they got here because nobody really understands what we've all gone through here. When you when you bring in guys from Wharton and from HBS and from McKinsey and you got, you know, he's from California and you've got, you know, uh, your digital guys from some other place and your, your head of alumni, you know, was here for a cup of coffee and doesn't even live in the market, you, you, you're, it's going to be hard. It wouldn't be nearly as hard if you had a normal ownership situation, but you don't. And nobody wants to participate, no matter how smart and how well-dressed and how well-spoken all of your business people are, as long as Dan's here. They just don't. You know, it's just unbelievable that here we are. I mean, it's been two years since the Wilkinson investigation started. And here we are plowing the same ground. Well, the Wilkinson investigation has been over for a while. Uh, It's been over for over a year. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are plowing the same ground over and over again. A business cannot sustain this kind of damage and come back. What did you want to... Without 
drastic change. What did you want to say about last weekend? You wrote about it. We didn't get to it on Tuesday. What did you want to say about the alumni homecoming weekend? Well, I mean, it again, uh, you know, maybe I'll change my mind uh, once this team gets hot and starts winning and beating good teams. But it seems foolish to, to me to write about just the game uh, in these columns when so much is going on involving the franchise and the organization. So every column I've written off the game for the past three or four weeks has had more to do with Dan Snyder and his issues than with the actual football. You could have written about that. And that came home to roost on Sunday in the anger and the atmosphere in Ghost Town Field. Uh, I pointed out that football, I mean, Monday through Saturday, it may be a nightmare out there if you're a Commanders fan, but your your saving grace, your place where you can should be able to go to get away from it should be the actual football game. You know, the real football, the reason you root for the team. I mean, that should be like, you know, shelter from the storm, but it's not anymore. I mean, I mean the the Packers fans that showed up, nothing unusual except it seemed more overwhelming than ever before. I mean, like it was at minimum 70-30. And I pointed out that the, the video crew that takes shots of, of Commanders fans cheering had a hard time taking a shot that did not include a Packers fan in it somewhere. Oh, my God. The, the, uh, the, the picture of, of Brad Edwards, Gary Clark, and Mark Rippon in front of the Super Bowl twenty six banner with the replica of the Lombardi Trophy, it was like it w- the picture was taken at Lambeau Field. Yeah, and that's and that's that's debilitating enough. Uh, but then I think then you have uh, what you know you had people showing up with signs that said "Sell the team" that got taken away by by stadium security. You had chance of sell the team throughout the stadium. Now that obviously went away when the team had a chance to win the game because you know people are human beings and they they wanted to enjoy the moment. However fleeting those moments are, but uh, and then the real uh, the real thing that spoke to me was uh, when Tanya Snyder came on the video screen uh, for a public service announcement about the team's cancer initiatives, mm-hmm. and she got booed. And this is a breast cancer survivor, <clears throat> you know. And it's tasteless as it is, and it is tasteless. It's a measure of the anger, where the place where you 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 want to get away from it, so I don't think there's any place anymore where you can get away from it. That may change if this team goes on a roll, but right now, the, the actual football is not a safe haven for for fans anymore. Yeah, I I heard that. I mean, we saw you know a lot of this stuff coming out over the weekend. The Mark Mosley misspelling, you know, I it. it that stuff, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why it surprises anybody anymore and why such a big deal is made out of it. It just it happens all the time. It's the, you know, let's erase the chalkboard. It's got three. It's got the number three on it, and now we got to put it back to zero because three is about as much as you get up to. Um, of everything that – and by the way, Mosley's name is a hard, uh, is a hard spell – 
and it wouldn't matter if it were another organization. But when you've spelled, you know, London, you know, Fletcher, London Flector, and when you had that, you know, command legacy website with multiple spelling errors and factual um, inaccuracies, it's just it's it's one thing after another. It's really quite remarkable that they can't get any of these things right. I, I would recommend to them, and I talked about this the other day on radio, you can't have. I don't even know if they have this. They might have this. You have to have a professional event planner involved in these things. Somebody who is highly experienced with a team to, to, to dot every I, cross every T. I heard halftime was the biggest embarrassment of anything that they've done. And that's saying a lot. That it was, you know, the the the, the Green Bay uh, the the players put in front of Green Bay sections. The players not really introduced. A couple of cheerleaders introduced with long bios on them. Another sort of disorganized mess. Everything was off from a timing standpoint. Like, <laughs> do you remember? Were you there for the final game at RFK at halftime when they brought all the yes. old players back? I mean, it, it was. Yeah, I was there. I, I don't have a, a big memory of it, but I covered that game. It yeah. was. It was truly one of the more electric environments for non, you know, playing of the game. It was just such a. It was such an incredible day, and it's such a. It was such a nostalgic day, but all of the greats coming back, and you know, they had that thing timed out to the to the to the second. You know, they were lined up, and somebody planned that thing, and it's like, all right, all the players have to be down into the area. Uh, you know, five minutes before halftime, we're going to line them up this way alphabetically or by jersey number. We're going to say however we're going to line them up, and here's what the PA announcer: it's going to be no more than ten seconds per player, and then you're. You're going to leave like five seconds for the follow-up of the cheers before you like you plan it out to the second they don't haven't they haven't had somebody i don't think i mean i i would hope that they haven't had somebody because if they have had somebody in charge of all of that that's been like a professional event planner then i don't know what to, to recommend but you if you're going to try to do these things you you got to have somebody that knows how to pull it off logistically and it's got, I mean, remember the 2222. I don't think anything as important to a business as that was to them has ever lacked yeah. as much energy and planning um, and organization than that did. And, you know, that followed, you know, the Sean Taylor disaster from last year. I mean, that was embarrassing. Um, and, and it's just been one after another. I just think. And look, you know, sometimes in an organization like this, even though maybe they've gotten a, a few good people, it's hard to keep attracting good people. You know, you're not going to get really, really high-level people. You might get a few here and there, but it's going to be hard to continue to attract them to an organization like this. It's not, you know, it's not a destination job for anybody. Like, you know, there's a time you could go back when you grew up a fan and you're like, oh, my God, I have a chance to work for the Redskins, even if it's in ticket sales. Oh, my God, my first job out of college. Nobody thinks that way anymore. First of all, yeah, why would you take anymore. a job selling tickets when you can't sell them? You can't make any money, and it's mostly a commission job. But um, I don't know. I heard that the halftime thing, I wasn't there. I heard it was a disaster. I also heard that this was as much a one-sided, even as much as the Eagles game, that it was 70-30 Packers to to yeah. uh, Commanders fans. It was it was overwhelming, and if I, I if you're a Commanders fan, it just must be so depressing 
yeah. to be sitting there surrounded by by the opposing fans everywhere you look. Uh, and I think, you know, look, I've said this before. This is a team that can't afford to make mistakes, and that's all they do is make mistakes. Yeah. All right. Um, God, we've talked a lot of non-football here. I want to get your prediction on the game. I've got a smell test pick, and I want to get your prediction on the World Series. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Call Window Nation at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. They've got their winter window sale going on right now. Buy two, get two free with no limit. No money down, no payments, and no interest until the year 2025. If you've got old windows, meaning 10 years of age or older, if they're drafty, if they're hard to open, hard to lock, uh, you need new windows. Call Window Nation. They're the best. They've got the best product. They make it here locally. And they've got the best deal going. And I promise you, they're so easy to work with. There's no risk. They'll give you a free estimate, and then you can do with it what you choose. But 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my name. Uh, Tampa Bay tonight is laying a point and a half with players out all over the place with you know, Brady looking as bad as he's looked throughout his career. It looks like this team is sinking as quickly as Green Bay is sinking, and yet they're favored over the Ravens. Public's all over Baltimore tonight in the Thursday night game. I hate doing these Thursday night games in the NFL. Um, the Friday night college games are, are, are decent. Last week I gave out New Orleans. It didn't work. Um, I'm going to give you Tampa Bay laying the point and a half. Uh, my bookie and yours will need Tom Brady to get the win tonight by at least two points or more. Um, I'll take the Bucks in an early smell test pick, minus the one and a half. Who do you like in the game on Sunday? I like the Commanders. Okay, final score? 20 to 12. 20 to 12. Okay. Command- it won't be pretty, but they'll get back to 500. And it won't be deflating um, on Sunday for many people. Uh, World Series. I'm excited for this World Series. Really excited for it. Can't wait for tomorrow night. They're going to pitch NOLA, I guess. Philadelphia is. Um, and uh, it'll be Verlander for Houston. Uh, by the way, I think uh, Houston right now is minus – let me look it up real quickly. Minus 190 in the series. Um, so, you know, a, a, a sizable favorite to win the World Series. Who do you like and in how many games? I like Houston. I mean, a real powerhouse team, uh, particularly compared to the Phillies, who only won 87 regular season games. Now, they're the hot team uh, in, in this right now, but the Astros just have tremendous pitching and a tremendous bullpen, and those generally triumph in, in uh, a series like this. So I like the Astros in six. Uh, what's interesting, and the Houston Chronicle wrote about this, uh, and I, I should have remembered it. 
is in 2018, Bryce Harper nearly became an Astro at the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, but they, the, 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 the Nationals had a deal in place. Right, but who next? To trade Harper. The Learners did, uh, it was right? The, it was the Learners. Yeah. Yeah, the Learners. I mean, Mike was ready to dial the phone. Yeah, you told me to this tell, uh, then. You, yeah, or you've Jeff told Blumau, me this since. Yeah, that, you know, and it, it, the Nationals would have got some prospects. And he would have been a rental. I don't think Bryce Harper would have signed with the Astros after that. I still think he would have went to free agency. But he nearly became an Astro in 2000. It would have been wild if the, the following year, Bryce Harper with Houston was playing Washington in the World Series. Um, yes, it would have been. I like, I guess I like Houston too. I, I, I know that they're just a, a, a much better team overall. Philadelphia definitely has some mojo going. I'm going to root for Philadelphia and Bryce Harper. I'm certainly going to root for Bryce Harper to continue to do what he's been doing in the postseason. I think it's been exciting. It won't it won't, you know, be disappointing if Houston wins because of Dusty. And just to see what that scene would be with Dusty Baker as a World Series champion. And I can imagine so many people in the sport being so thrilled for him. I mean, it's not Ovechkin winning the Stanley Cup, but in baseball managerial talk, that would be he's the guy. Everybody wants yes. to get one. Um so yeah, that would be cool, too. I'll say Houston in a long, entertaining seven-game series. Uh, and we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, what else you got? I got nothing else for you, boss. Okay. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm not sure with whom. If you missed Jay Gruden yesterday on the podcast, he was great. Um, go back and listen to yesterday's show as well. We'll definitely have a full-fledged Friday football show. Whether Cooley will be on it, uh, you'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, Have a great day.